and this morning we are continuing our teaching series on abundance. Usually during November we like to do a teaching series on generosity or thanksgiving or something in that neighborhood. And so it was my turn this year because uh, Pastor Ben and Ashley, they had their little baby. It was my turn to do this series. So for three weeks, we're exploring generosity. But what I wanted to do this year is I wanted to take it at a little bit from a different angle. And I wanted to kind of come to generosity from uh, behind and talk about it a little bit upside down. So we started last week by talking about creation. We started talking about our, our theme of generosity by first looking at Genesis chapter 1, when God created everything that we see and everything that we don't see. We started there. Because what I wanted to do was I wanted to instill in you this truth that God created a world that is full. God created a world that is bursting with life and with goodness for us, even in this kind of sinful world that we live in, even after our rebellion against God, and even though our relationships and our cultures and our governments are twisted and deformed a little bit, and there's bloodshed and sin and these kinds of things, even in the midst of our sin, the world still has enough. That there are seven billion people in the world, and there's enough to go around, more than enough to go around. And it's important to start there because when Jesus starts teaching about things like money, he starts with this. He starts with creation. So that's why I wanted to get us going last week with that in Genesis 1. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. This is one of Jesus's kind of direct teachings on money. And, uh, and so we're going to jump in to see what he has to say about our resources. And this is how he starts this off. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So Jesus starts off this passage, and he says, therefore, which when we see that therefore, we need to think, why is it, why is it there? What happened before, what's happening after, we're going to get some of the context. So Luke chapter 12 is kind of right in the middle of the gospel, and it is during this kind of long travel narrative. Luke is broken up into three portions. There's the first part where he's hanging, Jesus is hanging around Galilee. There's the middle section where Jesus is always on the move. He's always traveling, and he's doing this kind of uh, itinerant teaching and preaching and healing. He's always going around to this new town, to this new place, and he's traveling. The last third is in Jerusalem, where he is crucified and resurrected. So Luke chapter 12 is stuck right in the middle of the gospel, and it's right in the middle of this travel narrative. And during this travel, he gets stopped by some people, and he gets asked some questions. He does some healing, and this teaching occurs right in the middle of this long block of teaching in Luke chapter 12, where he just finishes teaching about greed and warning about greed. So that's what kind of comes before this passage. So that's why he says, therefore, because he just gave this warning about not being greedy, about not being a greedy person. And he says, therefore, and he moves in to this. I tell you, do not worry about your life. He starts us off with this command. Do not worry. Now, if I were to take a quick survey of people in this room, I'm guessing 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100 would say, yes, I have worry. Yes, I have worried in the past, or I am currently worried about something. 
I'm sitting in this chair, I have come this morning worried about something, and then we're greeted by this command, do not worry. This is a direct imperative from Jesus to his disciples and to us. Do not worry. And the hard truth is that when we worry, that's actually us operating in sin and not by the Holy Spirit. That's the hard truth today. That when we are worried, we are operating out of the flesh, we are not operating out of the Spirit. Because the worry and fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. Do not worry is Jesus' command to us. And he says here, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Because everybody forever has worried about food and clothing. Since the very beginning, we've been concerned about food and clothing. And for those of us in this room right now, in Sock Valley, uh, who have gathered together, most of us are part of the same kind of culture or same economic status, and that is middle class American. And middle class Americans have a lot of worry. There's a lot of anxiety. In fact, studies have shown us that middle class Americans, and especially upper middle class Americans, have more anxiety than any other group of people in the United States. Middle class folks have lots of worry, mostly because we're part of the dominant culture. So when we see some of the cultural shifts that go on in our world, we're worried about it because it's kind of a challenge to our culture. And when we see that economics begin to change and shift, we become worried because mostly that threatens the middle class. And we can see over the, the history of the United States, the middle class shrinking and growing and shrinking and growing. And so we're always concerned about dropping down into the lower middle class or even the lower working class. Middle class Americans have a lot to worry about. We have mortgages, we have student loans, we have loans out on our boats and on our cars. We're always in debt for something and we're always worried about it. We're always worried about having enough, about making enough income. And so we do this and that. We join that multi-level marketing cult and we do this and that to try to make the ends meet, right? We're always thinking about how we can make more money, how we can make the ends meet, and we are consumed by worry. We are a worrying people. That is what we do. And this is gonna be a challenging teaching today and next week is gonna be challenging for us too for those of us, myself included, who are part of this middle class. Because a lot of what Jesus teaches challenges a lot of our assumptions. Because for us in the middle class, generally how we think is that more is better. And more is in fact more. And we kind of like to prove ourselves. So we always are concerned about the gas prices because we've made sure that we've got that little bit bigger vehicle because the bigger vehicles look nicer and they keep their value longer. So we are like, we see the gas prices rise, so we get a little scared. Because we made sure that we got that, that truck that we really wanted, or that SUV that we really wanted, because our neighbors have it too. Or we're concerned about what kind of house we have and making sure that we can care for the house that we have. So we stretch our budget just a little bit more to get that mortgage that's just a little bit bigger, so that we can have the bigger and nicer house in the nicer neighborhood in that tax county and in this uh, school district and those kinds of things. You see what I'm saying? We're always kind of playing this game, always worried about what's going on. And here Jesus commands us, do 
not worry. Because life is not about those things. What Jesus teaches us here is that more actually isn't more. Jesus continues with this teaching. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So he starts off here in his command. He says, do not worry. This is the second command he gives here. And what is the command? Go outside and watch the birds. That's his command. He says, do not worry, and tells us instead, go outside, look at the birds. See what the birds are doing. The birds fly around, they eat their fill, they have their babies, they do their thing year in and year out. They pass away, they make more of them, and they just kind of go on, but they're not worried. They always have enough. And this is why I started with creation last week. This is why we looked at Genesis chapter 1 last week in the abundant world, because Jesus is teaching when we are worried about income, we're worried about our clothes and our food, he tells us, go outside and look. See what's going on out there, and you'll see the abundant world that God has made for us. He continues, consider the lilies, or this is kind of like a generic flower is what this is. Consider the lilies or the flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, that's a king from the Old Testament, a really really important king in the Old Testament. Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. You go outside, you look at the flowers, and they're beautiful. And they are more glorious and magnificent than anything, that any human invention, than anything that we could wear or drive or anything that we could live in, the flowers are more beautiful. Go outside and look at the world around you. Let's jump back to that uh, where he tells us to look at the birds. At the, this last phrase is one I want to look at. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Do not worry. Go outside and watch the birds. The birds have their fill. The flowers have their fill. There's always enough for them. They live, they die, they do their thing, and there's always enough. And then Jesus gives us this gospel, this promise. How much more valuable are you than the birds, than the flowers? If God is going to give the birds what they need, he's going to give you what you need. If God is going to give the flowers what they need, he's going to give you what you need. There is enough. We do not have to worry because there is enough. You are more valuable than the birds. And the birds do not have to stress out about food. You are more valuable than the flowers and the flowers do not have to stress out about what they're wearing. God loves you immeasurably more than he loves the birds outside. He cares for them, and he's also going to care for you. He's going to give you everything you need. You see, in our kind of middle-class American economy, more is more. Bigger is better. More is more prestigious. In God's economy... It's almost the opposite. Less is more. When God gives us exactly what we need, that's when we find fulfillment. 
our cars, our homes, our whatever, businesses, whatever it is, our careers, they cannot give us fulfillment. Only God can do that. Less is more in God's economy. Everything's upside down with God. Everything is upside down from what we perceive as good. And God says, no, 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 this is good. Trusting in me and receiving what I have for you, that's good. Because he will give us exactly what we need. Jesus continues on. He says, instead of worrying about all this stuff, he says, instead of this, strive for his kingdom. And these, these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Instead, strive for the kingdom. You see, what happens when us in the middle class especially, it's, it's everybody, but most people in this room right now are middle class, right? We're all kind of part of the same general, you know, this big swath of Americans. Uh, we're all kind of in the same camp. So generally, for us, what happens in the middle class is that we go into debt for our mortgage, for our cars, for our hobbies. We're constantly going into debt, making monthly payments, paying on interest, and now what happens is that we no longer are striving for anything good or fulfilling. Instead, we're striving to make the payments. And as we gather in more debt, we stop working for the good of our neighbors or for the good of our community or the good of our family, and instead we start working for our mortgage. We start working for our boat. We start working for our cars. We become slaves to the things that we have purchased on credit. Because now we have to work just to keep those things and we become stressed out and worried about these things. We become so focused on making sure that I can have my car the way that I want it, my hobby the way that I want it, my house the way that I want it. We become so focused on these things that we become slaves for them. And what Jesus tells us that instead of this, we are to strive and we are to focus on the kingdom, on his kingdom, on the goodness that he is bringing into our lives. We focus on the gifts of the spirit that God is lavishing upon us, the peace and the joy and the love and the generosity and these things. We begin to focus on what God has promised us and given us. And he says everything else will be added. All the other things that you need, you will have. You may not get the house that you want, but I'll make sure that you're taken care of. You'll have a roof over your head. You may not have the car that you want, but you'll, you'll get around. You'll be okay. God says, strive for the kingdom, and I will give you what you need. But if we strive for the things that we want we become enslaved and indebted to them. We are not free. And in fact, we are, all that we do is worry. All that we do is focus on these things. And Jesus' final command is strive for the kingdom. And then he gives this uh, nice little statement, do not be afraid. And this isn't a command like the other commands in this passage are. It's a different kind of command. It's a different grammar. Do not be afraid. This is an encouragement. Don't be afraid, little flock, because God wants to give you his kingdom. He wants to give you what you need. It is his pleasure to give you what you need. But that doesn't mean he's going to give us what we want. 
but he will give us what we need. He'll give us everything that we need along with peace, along with joy, along with thanksgiving, along with patience and faithfulness and goodness. And he is lavishing his abundant gifts on us. And instead, we're so focused on the worldly things. And so now, as Christians, what happens is that when we receive from God good things, when we receive from him the things that we need, the income from our work, the opportunity to do this or do that, instead what happens, instead of us taking those things and making it for us, we actually are open-handed with it. We say, okay, God, you have given me these things. Now they are for your kingdom. Use them as you see fit. We are now open-handed with the things that God has given us. We no longer cling on to them and try to gather up and make bigger barns and bigger houses and bigger careers and those kinds of things. We now hold it with an open hand. We say, okay, Lord, you've given me this thing and now it's yours. You may use with it as you will. Tell me what you want to do with this. Let me use it for your kingdom. All the income that we make is for his kingdom. The homes that we have are for his kingdom. Any transportation we may or may not have is for his kingdom. Life is not about our income. It's not about our, you know, whatever, 401k or 403b or whatever it is. Our life is not about the social security that we get. Our life is about the kingdom and all the extra things that we get is for the kingdom. It's for him. And so we strive for the kingdom and we long for the goodness that God has for us, and we hold these things with an open hand. And Jesus continues on. He says, sell your possessions and give alms, which we're not going to talk about today. That's actually next week. He says, instead he says, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Purses do not pull U-Hauls. You do not get to, at the end of your life, take your stuff with you. You do not, at the end of your life, get to take your retirement with you. It's going to be somebody else's. It's either going to be your kids or your grandkids or the government. Somebody is going to take your money, and they are going to spend it the way that they want to. Your life is not your stuff. And when we build bigger purses for us here, when we build bigger bank accounts and retirement accounts, that's just going to go away at some point. If it doesn't go away before we die, it's going to go away after we die. But there's an unfailing, never-ending treasure that we can have. And that's our life with Jesus Christ. When he offers us his kingdom, when he invites us into his life, when he baptizes us and makes us his own, our life is now hidden with Jesus. And he is our life. And he gives us love and patience and peace and then we affect that same change. We are those agents of transformation in our home, in our community. And those purses that never fail, those purses that are unfailing in heaven, that's the kind of, that's the kingdom relationships that we build. The gospel that we proclaim to others, the lives that are changed around us because of our open hand for God's kingdom, because we are caring for others and speaking to others and telling them the gospel and inviting them into the life of Jesus, these, this is the impact in the purse that never fails. These are the connections and the relationships that we build that will never go away, even in the new creation, even in the new heaven. We will experience the same peace 
and patience and joy and faithfulness with others forever. This is the purse that never fails, is being part of God's kingdom, loving and caring for others in that way and transforming their lives too through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the purse that never fails. This is the bank account that never fails, is this kingdom impact that we have through our own spirit-led peace and joy and proclamation of the gospel. And so Jesus gives this command, sell your possessions, give to the poor, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have. It matters what Christ has made you to be and that you are inviting others to that as well. This is the life that we are invited into. As Christians, we are not what we have. As Christians, we are not the house that we have or the car that we have or the bank account that we have or the retirement fund that we have. That does not define us. Those things are nice. They're nice to have, it feels good, but that does not define us. We are in Christ. We are made for him. We are made to live with him forever. And so we are invited to open up our hands, to give to others, to care for others, and to use what God has given us for his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I am so grateful that you have called us together. Thank you, Lord, for your gift to us of your word and your Holy Spirit, that he speaks to us and transforms us. Lord, that he calls us into deeper relationship with you, that he calls us into deeper knowledge of you, that he transforms our affections and our thoughts, that he gives us love, Lord, and peace and joy and all the other fruit. So Lord, I ask at this time that you would transform us by your word, that you would help us dwell on and meditate on your word, that we'd be made new because of it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, I lift up to you the continuing COVID-19 crisis that you would um, bring healing to our community, to our state, to our nation, to our world, Lord. Uh, I pray that you'd be with all those who are sick, all the medical professionals who are caring for um, those who are sick, Lord, that you would be with those who are affected financially um, and those who have mental health uh, issues because of the pandemic. Uh, Lord, we do trust that you can bring healing into that situation, into all those many various situations. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to all those people, that you would bless the medical professionals and those who are working so hard to care for those who are sick. Lord, we pray that you would guide um, our leaders and that you would guide the scientists and the researchers, Lord, who are continuing to seek out cures for this. Um, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, make the vaccine safe and effective, Lord, um, that we can uh, move forward out of this pandemic, Lord, and that uh, your name would be glorified through it all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Lord, it's up to you all those who are suffering from various issues, for Dessa Caravan in her rehab, for Ernie Little and his cancer, for Frida Last in her rehab, for the Dirks family, for the passing of Donna, for Sandy Skrogstad, uh, she adjusts to a new home. Dave Wagner and his back surgery. For Randy Strickland and his back surgery. For Rick Curley and his health. For Margaret Schneiderbauer and her health. For Jane Jacoby and her health. For Marilyn Hart and her health. For Jerry Heeren as he recovers from surgery. For Phyllis Slothauer as she recovers from hip surgery. For Pat Wagner as she enters into hospice. For Dean Beatty and his health. For Marsha Holt and her heart. For Roger and Lori Von Holten as they've uh, suffered from COVID. And for Bob Simpson, as he faces back surgery this week, Lord, we pray that you'd be with all these individuals, that you would be the great physician, that you would care for them and bring them healing. And Lord, we know that you like to work miracles uh, through your creatures, through your creation. 
And so we do pray for the doctors and the nurses and the surgeons and all the assistants and all the medical professionals who are uh, going to be part of the process for these people to uh, be healed. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would bless them and that you would work your miracles through them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, Lord, we lift up thanks and praise to you for Joe Dunbar as he's healed from COVID-19. For Alan Nicole Lewis and the birth of Braxton Wayne, we thank you. For Pastor Ben and Ashley, we thank you for the birth of Cora Lee. Lord, I pray that you'd be with these young people, specifically with Cora and Braxton, that you would give them your Holy Spirit, that they would know you and love you. And Lord, uh, that they would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and favor with others. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Lord.